Good morning. Today with Zat Hashem, we'll be learning Dav Chavches in Masech Sotam, and we have the Koch to finish this Masech and beyond. We're only a couple weeks away, Barry. It's unbelievable. Hey, Andrew, we miss you. Yeah, but we're flying through these. Leon Hart. And then next is Gittin. Okay. So, um, but we're more than halfway through, that's for sure. Let's finish the Mishnah. On the bottom, we were talking about Eov. So, Bo Bayom Darsha Bishob and Hurkanus, we described what day that was. These are the two dots, right? Uh, 11 or so lines up from the bottom. Bishob and Hurkanus on that very day, as we explained, the day that the floodgates opened, right? The doors to the base Medrash and everybody had come in when Rablazo ben Azariah had deposed Rabbi Gamliel, who was later reinstated, by the way, Barry. But on that day, they learned all the Masechus Edios and these, these, mishnah, these uh, ideas that we learned. So yesterday we learned some dresses from Rekiva. Today we begin with a dresser from Yerushua ben Hurkanus that says the following. Lo avad Eov esakadosh elame ahava. It's an interesting question. Did Eov, uh, was he serving Hashem out of love or out of fear? So it's interesting. Rabbi Leibowitz, the great Tafiyomi master, points out um, that after the Akedah, Hashem says to Avraham Avinu, Now I know that, you, that you're worshipping me out of fear. There it has a positive connotation, right? That's a good thing. I mean, to be a Yorei Shemaim is, is a great thing. But Eov, we have this thing where is he serving Hashem out of Yer or Arfa? We already encountered this. You pointed this out um, a couple of weeks ago when we were asking, are you serving out of Yira or are you serving out of Ahava? And isn't that a good thing? Remember that? Um, here, serving out of Yira seems to be uh, derogatory in a sense, right? It's less, and we know that it's true, that serving out of Ava is considered a higher level than serving out of Yira. Um, but certainly, right, with, um, with respect to with respect to Avram Avinu, it's considered a positive thing. So what is going on here with Eov that it's a negative and by Avram Avinu it's a positive? So Rabbi Leibowitz addresses it. But the fact of the matter is, it, you know, everything, everything matters in terms of context, right? When it came to Avram Avinu, <laughs> Avram Avinu was on the journey of, this is, there's no real easy way to say it, but discovering monotheism, right? Of discovery of Hashem. So for him to be a Yerei Elohim is like an acknowledgement of this truest form of this connection and awareness of a Baruch Hu. It's that's that's the context of Atayadati ki Yerei Elohim Ata. It's not to say that he didn't have Avas Hashem either. It would be impossible to say that Avinu didn't have Avas Hashem. Um, and so with Avram Avinu, it was just a question of Yerei Elohim. In that in that context, you're saying that you understand that he recognizes HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Here by Eov, it's a different story. By Eov, there was sort of a, uh, a debate or controversy or basically it's ambiguous, right, what his motivations are. That's the whole theme of Eov. So that's a different context, right? Is he doing it uh, with full authentic sincerity or not? You know, by the time Eov comes around, it's a different question. Uh, Breitowitz Shlita has the whole question of whether Eov is written about Moshe Rabbeinu, I mean, it's a real, uh, it's the, 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 the Sefer Eov, is it allegorical? It, that's a deeper philosophical question. And so we're not talking about the existence of Hashem 
um, and recognition of Hashem with Eov, we're talking about a sort of like a deeper, more nuanced, layered question of what is it that animates and motivates a human being in their service of Hashem. So it's a totally different context. Okay. Be that as it may, what does the Pasuk say? So we say, so, so Rabbi Shubin Herkunas made a Chiddush, that it wasn't just out of fear of retribution, which we will call Yira, without itself. Again, when you talk about Yira and Ava, what does it even mean? What is love, after all, Barry? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this is, this is a question that we were talking about uh, a couple of weeks ago. When it comes to fear of retribution versus love, uh, the, the Chiddush was he, that Eov he, he served Hashem out of love, according to Rabbi Shubin Hurkos. How do we know? Shanamar, hen ikteleni lo ayachel. Okay. This is the Pasuk in Eov, where he says, where Eov states that if Hashem were to kill him, lo ayachel means I would still yearn for him. Now, what's not really mentioned in the Mishnah, but is very important for this point, is that the Ksiv is not Lamed Vav, lo ayachel, but it's Lamed Aleph. And when you read the word, lo, it can mean one of two things. I will yearn for him, lo, lamed vav, or lo yachel, I will no longer yearn for him because I will be dead, or I will not yearn for him with a lamed aleph. So obviously those two things can mean opposite. So this is sort of like a kri, ksiv. It's a funny kri, ksiv, where the kri sounds exactly like the ksiv, but it's very critical. Is it a lamed aleph or a lamed vav? Okay. Right, so, so Barry says... Why are we getting into anything more extraneous? If it says low to Hashem, why do we bring up that subject? Um, so, so Barry wants to know, we don't want to take the Pasuk out of, of, uh, of Miksu, uh, right, Mipshuto, right? In other words, when you have the writing, it says, I will no longer yearn for him when I die. I mean, we have a similar concept in... Um, you know, David Melch mentions it in Tehillim, right, when he always says, right? We say it in, in Hallel, some people say it today, happy Yom Atzimut, everybody, um, that, um, and, and when we're saying, as I understand it, we're, we're trying to say, keep me alive so that I can sing your praises, right? In other words, I would love to continue to live so that I have the, the schos of continuing your praises. What am I here for if not to sing your praises, right? That's what we're saying. And so, but that's a theme where we're saying we want to sing your praise and yearn for you. And it is for that reason that we should be able to continue. Here, Eov is saying, so it's not so far away from, from the pshuto. In other words, the pashut pshat, I would say, is that kind of theme where you're saying that if I were no longer to be alive, I would no longer have the opportunity to yearn for you, right? He's not being negative, uh, per se. He's just saying, I would like to be able to continue to have the opportunity to serve you, even if it, even if it is Adlamid Aleph. Um, and then, on top of that, so, the Kriyuk Siv here, I would imagine, is a, right, is, is like a, you know, a Mesora, right? The Kriyuk Siv that we have, we don't try to ch- take it, um, right, Yotse and therefore, uh, it's when it says that the that the Kri is lo ayachel, I would yearn for him. So then, 
when you consider it in the context, maybe it's not so outside of the pshuta of the pasuk, right? So the pshuta of the pasuk would be like that if I were not alive, where I would be die, I would never, I would no longer be able to yearn for him. And then, right, if you, and then you have a Cree, uh, the Masora for a Cree, where he's saying an even more emphatic, right, declaration along the same lines, Barry. An even more emphatic declaration to indicate that even if I were to be uh, killed or even if I was faced with, you know, the opportunity to, to do the ultimate Messiah Snafish and give up my life, I would still yearn for Hashem, by the way. This is certainly an indication of Ahava as opposed to Yira. Why? Why is that even a, a proof? Because after all, if you had Yira Hashem, what would the Yira be? The Yira would be retribution. And being killed would be the most severe form of retribution. And so what Yira is saying, if you say Lamed Vav, is, right, if you're saying that, it, that it's a Lamed Aleph like the Ksiv, then you're saying, I'd like to be able to be alive in order to sing your praises. But then a step further, if you say it's Lamed Vav, is, but if, it's almost a continuation, but if you were to tell me that the Ratzon Hashem, as it were, is to, is that I no longer can continue to be alive for whatever, you know, divine reason there is, I would still sing your praises, I would still yearn for you, right? And that shows the ultimate expression, not of Yira, because Yira, what would you fear if not? The, the right, the death. Here you're saying, I don't even have year of that because I love you so much that I, Hashem, that I understand that Hashem has his ways and I would still yearn for you. Okay, so it is a demonstration of the Ahavas Hashem. Okay. In the um, Torah or Shalom where they quote the Pasuk, yeah. it shows it as a Laman Vav rather than Laman Aleph, which was said that wasn't the Sid Right, when I, when I see, when I see the Pasuk, I see Lamed Vav, right? And yet, when I see note number 28 in the art scroll, it says that the Pasuk is actually written, Hainik Teleni Lo Yachel Lamed Aleph. So I don't know, uh, I'd have to look that up. Um, why would the Torah or be quoting Lamed Vav and not the Lamed Aleph? I don't know. So we'd have to, you know, what this teaches us, Barry, is that we really have to learn Eov. My father-in-law, Oliver Shalom, was a big, um, was a very big fan of Eov. He used to teach that safer all the time. We got to pick up an Eov, maybe look up some of his notes, and um, and it's actually, funnily, uh, interestingly enough, uh, today is Wednesday. His yurtzeit is in two days, so maybe in two days will be zocha. Uh, so we'll learn the English master, right? But the Azar Chaim, but I'm Shlomo Zalman. He's a big, big gone. And Eov was a big safer of his. So we will uh, learn that at some point. Okay, you ready? So says the Mishnah. You know, it's still a little bit ambiguous when you look at the Pasuk. Why? Because it's In other words, this is, this is where it's talking about the low versus the low. That that's exactly what it's referring to, according to Rashi. That right, v'hachi kamehini tilani halo hu horgani lo yachelo od diyesh lo shehu nidrash kimo lo belamed vav kidenfarsh the Gemara. So Rashi himself is alluding. Do you see that to the lo with the aleph versus the lo with the vav? So we'll have to see it in the Gemara. 
uh, this is going to be this is going to be expounded in the Gemara. Okay, but Rashi's alluding to what the Mishnah means when it says that it's still ambiguous, right? So it's still not entirely clear because when you look at this one pasuk, it's not entirely clear. Is it a low? Is it a with a vav or with an aleph? And the way Rashi uh, doesn't really say it like a classic kriyuksiv. He says it almost like the word low is always ambiguous. That's a, or there are times, not always, but there are times where a lamed aleph is nidrash like a lamed vav. And it's for that reason that we're not sure what does he, what does exactly you mean. We've explained what it could possibly mean, but we don't know exactly what he means by this. When he says, if I were to die, I would still yearn for him. Or maybe he means if I were to die, I would no longer have the opportunity to yearn for him because both make sense and we're not sure what it means. So what do you do? Talmud Lomar. Well, then you have to go on to another pasuk in Eov that'll clarify it. How so? What does he say? Ad egva lo asir tu masimi many. Until the day I die, right, I will never cast off to my seat, my tamimus, if you will, right, my wholesomeness, which is to say, I will serve you with a full sincerity till the day I die. Says the Mishnah, ahava asa. That is a true indication that he did it from love. Why? Because he'll serve him till the day he dies, and therefore. It just means that his devotion to Hashem will be unshakable. Well, maybe that's from Yira. Not necessarily so, because he's just saying, forever I will serve you. And it is, that's kind of a, an ex, uh, until death do us part, if you will, is an expression of love, right? You don't say until death do us part if you're saying it out of fear, because why would you even mention death if you were saying it out of fear, I suppose, right? If you were really fearful, you don't want to bring that up. You want to, you, the message or the thrust of your message would be, keep me alive as long as possible. Here you're saying, until death do us part, you're saying, no, I will love you forever, is what you're saying, or, right? And that is an expression of love. So I love that. Okay, so, Amar Yeshua, when Yeshua heard this, he said the following. So again, um, like we had said before, with the Peshat of Rabbi Akiva, it's like they love the Rosh Hashiva, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, right? The old Rosh Hashiva that started the, the academy at Yavne. They loved him so much that every time they had these great Peshatim uh, that the Rosh Hashiva used to darshan and they had like a nice innovation um, they wished the Rosh Shiva had lived to see it, right? They said, let's dust off his eyes from the grave and show him this beautiful shot. Why? Because all your life, when you gave Eov Shir, so to speak, you, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, always assumed that Eov um, served Hashem from fear. Why? Because Shenamar, it says, Ish Tambi Yashar, Visar Meira. This is a description of Eov, right? Right in the first parak. It's he's described as a great guy, right? Ishtam, right? He's he's Tamimus, Yashar, and he's right, he has integrity and he's straight. And then it says Yurelokim. And he's also Yorishamaim, it sounds like a context of um, lauding him, definitely, saying good things. But it only says Yurelokim, doesn't say Oevelokim, Visar Mera. And, and he avoids evil. Okay, so sur meira, asay tov, tamvi yashar, yurelokim. What more could you ask, right? This would be like a great hespade. 
of somebody. And yet, it doesn't say, oh, Evelokim. It says, Yerevelokim. So Rabbi Yochan Medzakai, for all those years, assumed that, that Eov was a Yerevelokim, not an Evelokim. However, Yeshua just demonstrated that no, when he said, by, by claiming to Hashem that I will never lose this and I will love you till death do us part, it sounds like he wasn't Oiv Elohim. This is an innovation on top of what Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai had learned. And therefore, Yeshua ben Hurkanis, the Talmud of Rabbi Akiva, who was the Talmud of Rabbi Yeshua, right? Your grand Talmud taught that, in fact, Eov acted out of love for Hashem, and that is a chiddush indeed. So there we go. They learned it on that very day. Um, now, okay. So it's hard to believe that Yeshua wasn't, wouldn't, why did Rabbi Yeshua darshan it on this day? Was Rabbi Yeshua one of the Talmudim that didn't make it into the base of Medish? That's hard to believe. <laughs> but for whatever reason, this drasha came out on that day. The special siyata deshmaya of, right, letting all the Talmudim into the yeshiva. So maybe you can learn that Gavran it's a Muslim moment. If you, if you let, if you're not elitist and you allow more Talmudim into the, into the yeshiva, then even the better Talmudim come up with these, uh, the Seattle Shemaya to have this Kiddush. Okay, the better to me than we've been, in, been there anyway. All right, speaking of which, let's go on to the Gemara. Oso Leman. So, Barry, you might recall yesterday, I got super excited. I read the first line in the Mishnah. I said, Just like the waters check uh, her, they also check what I thought was her husband. As the Gemara will now explain, that's not who blows up, which is to say, the, the wife, right, the sota blows up, and just like she blows up, he blows up. Well, who's he? Don't forget, there are three parties in this sota story. There's the husband, the wife, and the wife's boyfriend, as you will, right, that the husband is, is jealous of. So which of the dudes is going to blow up when she blows up? Well, let's see. Oso Leman, who's blowing up here with her? Which, is, which of the two dudes? So Ilema Labal, if you're going to say it's the husband, Baal Mayavid, what did the Baal do? He's a tzadikal, right? His wife is a wayward wife for Chaman al-Slan. But he didn't do anything. The as we finally arrive at Chavchesam et al, at the totally manageable time, 5.57 a.m. Di isbi avon bitkele maya. If you're going to tell me that, wait a minute, if the husband, it, maybe the husband isn't a tzadik. Maybe the husband actually sinned also. Well, ki isbi avon bitkele maya maya da. If he has, if he sinned, would the waters check her? Actually not, because we already learned, Vatanya, we learned the Bryce of That's the last Pasuk in the Parsha of Sota. It's actually a Pasuk that you could read it ten times and not really know what it's trying to say. The very last Pasuk, right, it's Pasuk Lamed Aleph in the fifth chapter of Midbar, the Parsha Sota, says a, a wild thing. It's like after it says, Zos Kol Torah Sasota, and then it says at the end, "Vinikaha ish me'avon," and the man will be right, sort of clean from sin. Right, he'll, he'll be declared innocent. and the woman will will bear her sin. Okay, I mean, I don't know why we're ending with that. That's one possibility, right? The whole point of Sota is that it is ambiguous whether the woman sinned. Right, so, but the Torah says, if she didn't sin, so then she'll be blessed, right? And then, that's, that's, and then she goes off. And then at the very end, it's just like as a non sequitur almost, 
It just adds, and by the way, and the man will be cleansed and the woman will, be, will bear her sin. What, what, what are you talking about? We already went through the Parsha. We know that that's one of the possibilities, but why is that the climax and the end of Parsha Sota? So that in itself um, deserves some discussion. Well, the way they learn it is as follows. Right, so what we learn from that in the Brisa is that not that, oh, it's a scenario that it's always true it's axiomatic that the man is going to be clean and the woman will not be clean. But the contrary, that it's only if the man is clean of sin himself that the woman, that the mesota will work on the woman, right? Which is to say, if the man himself has a past, the mesota will have no effect on her. That's what it means. That when the husband is clean, uh, the mindboat kinesishto. And if the man is not clean of sin, the water's effect will not check his wife. And so again, what's the Kasha and the Gemara, Barry? The Mishnah said that not only does the wife blow up from the Mesota, but also the man blows up. And the question is, which man is it? And the answer is, it cannot be referring to the husband, but rather it's referring to the boyfriend. Why? Because the husband, there's a Mimanafshach. If the husband himself is clean, so then why should he blow up? He's a tzadikal. He's a victim here, Right? And if the husband's not clean, so then she'll not, she's not going to blow up either because she doesn't blow up if the husband's not clean, in the scenario where the husband's not clean. They don't use the well, they may not know that he's not clean. Right? In other words, this could be a scenario where the husband's not clean, the wife, uh, but he's going through the procedure of accusing the wife. He's ready for her to take the mind arm, and she takes it and has no effect. Now, it's, it's always an issue. It's always complicated because you really want the waters to work in a sense once she's going to drink it. I mean, put it this way. You want the water, you want to know that, that what's happening is a real reflection of what she did, right? So for example, you would love to think that if she drank it and she's okay, that she's innocent. And if she's drank it and, and she blows up, that she's guilty. But there, is many, there are many scenarios where she drank it and she's okay, but she's not necessarily innocent. The most the most glaring one being if her husband has a past. I should add, Barry, spent some time learning the Rambam last night on Hilchus Sota. The second parak, right? Halacha um, Ches in the, in the Rambam, in the Mishnah Torah, discusses this at great length. And the Rambam says an astonishing thing. It's actually connected what Rashi says here. Rashi has a pshat over here. The uh, Isbe Avon means that the husband himself uh, cohabited with his wife afterwards. Rambam doesn't say anything like that. The Rambam says, what does it mean that the husband, right, himself is not free of sin? That if he ever, it's an unbelievable lush and you have to see it inside, that if the husband ever had a past, ever had a bia that's not, right, kahogan, right, that's not, right, kosher, then the may sota will never work. It's an unbelievable shot. And there's a Mishnah Lamelch there, Barry, that goes on for days and days and days. Birnbaum says, maybe we'll spend all Shavuos night going through this Mishnah Lamelch. It discusses all kinds of scenarios. For example, one scenario it discusses is, what if this husband did tshuva? He gives a suggestion. So, you know, when a person does tshuva, they're like a new person. Well, that's true. And we're treated as such, and you should. Uh, that's the whole point of tshuva. But maybe there's a special gzer sakasav here. 
Right? Because after all, the Pasuk is very wild. It needs, it needs explanation, this Pasuk. And so the explanation that he wants to give uh, is possibly that there is a, like, uh, exception when it comes to Sota, that the May Sota will only work if this husband has no past, irrespective of Tshuva. Right? If the husband has any past whatsoever, we for, like, Nishkach Nislach, right? Like we, like, Lo Nishkach, but, but we will Nislach, which is to say, we can forgive him once he, for doing Tshuva, you know, the, the, whatever would motivate him then, he's a new man now, good for him. But, once you have a past, that stays with you on your record and if, with respect to Sota alone. That the, right, that you can never, right, cast aspersions on anyone else if you have a past yourself. That kind of thing. Right, so, so, right, so this has to be, this is why you have to spend a lot of time on this mission of the Melech. And I, I think I, I, I recall uh, the Menachas Chinachas, this is a discussion, right, to, to, to say that Tshuva is not complete. That your zdonos don't become zechuyos, that you don't become like a katan shenolad, like a brand new right bria, is very big chiddush indeed. You have to say that you're reborn in a sense when you when you repent. The only question is maybe this is and, and that there would be any residuals right from your past is is truly flies in the face of how we understand shuvo. So that has to really really be worked out. But I'm bringing it up to highlight this idea that the Rambam says that if you have a past. Then the may, that that's what this means. That if you have a past, the the waters won't work. So again, with respect to the husband, it's never it's never that can't be that he's the one that blows up because if he's a tzaddik, he's not going to blow up. Of course, that would be unfair. If he's a, not a tzaddik and he has a past, then she's not going to blow up either. And certainly, then it's not going to be a scenario where he blows up and she does not. That's not what happens. Okay, so has to be says the Gemara El Laboel when it says that. Somebody else blows up. The Boel is going to blow up. Listen to the Sefer. But then wait. The Mishnah did say Kishem Shasur Labal Kachasur Labal. Wait a minute. But the Mishnah's structure indicates that we were talking about the Baal up until now, and now we're introducing the Boel, right? Because it says Kishem Shemayim Bodkin Asa Kachamayim Bodkin Asa Shneimar Uvo Uvo Kishem Shasur Labal Kachasur Labal. So says the Gemara. Laolam Labal. No, really, they're referring to Boel. Veresha Aidi Tano Satani Oso. Since the Mishnah says, just like the waters test her, they test him, Seifa, Aide, Tana, Baal, Tana, Boel. And the Seifa, when it says Baal, is referring to Boel, which is to say, this is like a sing-song style. That the reason, that even though the structure of the Mishnah may have lulled you into thinking that, that just like she blows up, the husband blows up, which it actually did, when I read the Mishnah, I thought that the first clause was referring maybe to the husband blowing up, the second one saying that it would also reply to the Boel, and that's the first time we're introducing the Boel, Says the Gemara, no. That in both cases, we're referring to the Boel, and it is therefore only the boyfriend that blows up. Now, think of the intrigue, Barry. She's up there drinking. She knows she's guilty. She also knows the boyfriend's guilty. The boyfriend also knows that he's guilty. So he knows they're both about to blow up, right? Like he may really not want her to drink. So her refusal to drink may not be uh, only for her own safety and sake, right? She, there's two people on the line here, okay? Be that as the mace of the Gemara, what's the halacha for this? Shanamar uvau uvau. This is, uh, this is the two dots. What does it mean? Uvau uvau. The truth is it says uvau multiple times 
if you look at the at the parsha, it says pasuk chav beisach, pasuk chav dalid, that the water are going to come uvo, right? The 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 may silt are going to come, and they're going to and they're going to create right this uh, this physical reaction. Well, that pasuk is repeat, repeated. Why is the pasuk repeat, repeated? Ibarlu bo uvo kamar, oh uvo uvo kamar. So this goes back to what we were discussing in the Mishnah. What is Rabbi Kiva learning it? Is he learning it from the extra vav, the vav yisera, or from the multiple times that the pasuk appears and it says the word bo? So now, since it's six oh seven, we're going to turn on the afterburners. You ready, Barry? We're going to just do some limudim in the psukim. We already discussed most of the concepts that we want to discuss, but now let's talk about how we arrive at them. So Tashma, let's learn from the brisa. Kashem. Well, this is actually from the next. Uh, not the Brisa, but the next clause in the Mishnah as follows. As we just quoted. Just like she's prohibited to her husband, she therefore is going to be prohibited to the Boel. And where do we learn that from? So just like it says Bo'u with regards to the Mesota multiple times, it also says Nitme'a with regards to the woman multiple times with a Vav. And there we certainly learned that he expounded on right, the extra Vav. So if you learn the Vav Yaseira for Venitmea, maybe you should also learn the Vav Yaseira from Uvo. That's what it's saying. But the Gemara says, Vadayin Tibai, Nitmea, Nitmea Ka'amar, O Nitmea, Venitmea Ka'amar. So again, we're not sure. Is it the multiplicity of the word Nitmea? And if you read the Parsha, certainly there is a multiplicity. The word Nitmea appears three times. The word Vav appears three times, I believe. So these words are appearing multiple times, and there's also a Vav. And so there's this Machlokas, that, you know, it's a Mesorah. It's very hard for us to totally understand why it would apply, um, imp- right, imply one or the other, but that's what we're kicking around here, the Machlokas and the different ways of looking at these Pesukim. So says the Gemara, conclusive proof as follows. Tashma. The Mishnah itself says the following. Midiktari Seifa, Rebbe Omer, Shnei Pamim Amurim, Beparsha, Nitmeah, Venitmeah, Echa Lebal, Echa Lebal. So that really is a tip-off. If you read the Mishnah again, you'll recall, we read the Mishnah yesterday, and this was presented as Machlokas Rebbe and Rebbe Akiva. And the Mishnah said explicitly, Barry, that Rebbe did it because it says Nitmeot multiple times, and Rebbe learned his Limudim from the fact that it was mentioned multiple times, whereas, so from context, we learn, Miklal, the Rebbe Akiva, Vavei Kedarish. Rebbe Akiva is learning it not from the fact that it says Nitmeot multiple times, but rather from the Vavi Yaseira, so that's the Machlokas. Rebbe holds it's from the multiple times. Rebbe Akiva holds that it's from the Vav Yisera. Good. So the Gemara, okay, well, if that's true, that Rebbe Akiva learns it from the Vav Yisera, so he must learn from the Vav Yisera of Vinitma and also from the Vav Yisera of, right, Uva, right, Uva. Says the Gemara, Hilchach Rebbe Akiva, Shisa Well, if that's the case, then the fact of the matter is, Uva is mentioned three times in the Psukim, that phrase, and therefore, if you learn from every Vav Yasera and every Vo, what you come out with is three times two, right? The, the word Uvo is mentioned three times itself, and then the extra Vav of each one of them is Darshan, come out with six different things that you need to learn. So what would these th- six things be? And Rashi goes through them. But he says, So again, the Dida and Diday is what you learn from the Vav, right? That... The Vav means that whatever would apply to the Isha would apply to the Boel as well. So the first thing is the Tzavah, meaning the whole Parsha of Sota, right? The Mitzvah, so to speak, of, of, of Sota. And, and it would apply to her and apply to him. Chad la'asiyah didav, chad la'asiyah diday. Again, what Tzavah, Asiyah, and Yediyah really mean 
It's not entirely clear, but the tzava is the commandment. The asiyadidav v'chad l'asiyadiday means that you have to actually execute it, right? And that the curse will actually work for her and also for him. And then chad l'yadiyadidav v'chad l'yadiyadiday. I believe l'yadiyah here means that the Kohen, uh, you will recall, has to make a declaration prior to the procedure explaining to her this will happen. And it's a demonstration of Hashem's power, right? Because we're actually um, in the moment saying, hey, uh, we have a magical way. There's a question here, by the way, Barry. If this is the one case where Barry, it's the great Tafir Master will say, where you're somechan ala nes, in a sense, right? This is not a natural phenomenon. It's a religious phenomenon, or uh, for lack of better uh, explanation. And yet we're telling him, this is what's going to happen if you are, in fact, uh, if you are, in fact, a sota. Uh, we're just learning the parshias of Mitzorah. So, right, this used to be considered a schus, uh, to be able to have a reflection of your spiritual standing, right? So when we, we used to have tzaras, it says in, in parshias Mitzorah that we just read this past week, definitely coincidence, when you come into the land and you'll have tzaras in your houses. Is this some sort of marketing uh, real estate Israel thing? Like, is that how you market it? You say you can have tzaras in your houses? Says the Orachayim HaKadosh, yes, because you'll have the opportunity to have clarity with where you're holding spiritually. That's constructive criticism, Barry. You know, right? This way you keep yourself in check. That's a good thing. So here too, the sota is considered a good thing. It's not, uh, it, it's, it's Hashem interacting with you and showing your spiritual standing. It's a, a beautiful thing. Anyways, be that as it may, that's what we, so, so it's even more so beautiful when the, when he calls it, right? Like, Lahavdil Elf Alpha Evdalus, Babe Ruth calling a shot, right? You're pointing to the stands and you're saying, I'm going to hit a home run right now. So here the coin is saying, you know, your stomach's going to blow up. And then when he explains the sequence, it could be your thighs, your stomach, the way it enters in, right? Usually you would think that it would be the stomach and then the thighs. But because the Avera was done in the opposite anatomical direction, that's how you're going to blow up, okay? So it's going to be an anti-gravity kind of explosion here. Be that as it may, that's the idea. That's the coin calling a shot, so to speak, okay? So, so Rabbi Kiva has six... Limudim, right? And for each one, again, the Asiya, the, the Tzavah, the Asiya, and the Adiya, one for her, one for him. But Rebbe, but Rebbe only has three. Chad Tzavah, Chad Asiya, Again, it's the Tzavah, the Asiya, the Adiya. But if that's the case, Rebbe needs another source to say that whatever applies to the Sota will also apply to the Boel. So the Gemara asks, Rebbe, So again, right? Rebbe Kiva sees it in the Vavs. So he's got Oso and Oso covered, that this would apply to her and to him. Where does Rebbe get it if he doesn't learn the Vavs? Says the Gemara, Yeah, the Brisa has, explains that when the coin talks, uh, it, when the Pasuk says, like in, a, in the general sense, not that it's going to um, right, cause your stomach to distend and your thigh to collapse, you Sota, but one's stomach will distend and one's thighs will collapse. The way that it's said in a more generic way uh, means, implies that it applies not only to her, but to somebody else. Who is somebody else? The boil, right? Uh, so, right, so which one is it referring to? So he says, Right? That we already have a Pasuk that says that the Sota herself will, exp- will experience the stomach distension and the thigh collapse. So then why do we have this extra Pasuk saying it in a more generic way? 
Asked the Gemara, Romani Mikhaim Latzmos Bet Vilanpil Yerach in this generic way. Says the Gemara, Bitno Vayerechel Shel Boel. That's the source of Rebbe that it will also apply to the Boel. Says the Gemara, Veida Chahud, the Moda Lakoin, the Vetan Beresha, Vada Yerach. So what does Rebbe Kiva do with this generic Latzmos Bet Vilanpil Yerach? Says the Gemara, Shalalahoti Laz, Alamayma Marim. That it means that the coin is going to inform her that the order, that the stomach will be first and then the thigh, right? So that pe- people can't say that the, that the, that when the affliction occurs in that order, right? That it's something wrong, right? With the maima marim. Because after all, the coin in fact says that it's first going to be the stomach and then the yerech. And when people say, well, it should really be the opposite, like I said, that it should be because of the gravity, because of, it should be an anti-gravity thing. Wasn't the Avera first with the Yerech and then with the stomach? So why is the stomach descending first? Maybe it's just a natural phenomenon. So the coin calls his shot, as I said. The coin says, no, it's the way it's supposed to be. First, it's supposed to be the stomach, not like what I said before. It's supposed to be like gravity. First, the stomach and then the Yerech, but you, sh- but he calls it and explains it. That's the sequence. Just so that you don't say what I said before, that that's like a non-miraculous thing. That's just gravity. You should know that's what the Pusuk says. That's how the main Marim works. And that's the most effective way that's going to have the impact, uh, impact. Okay. So then says the, so Rabbi says, wait a minute. Why are you confusing people? So Rabbi says, It should be the, the stomach and the thighs of the woman. Hers. My beten v'yarech. Why is it saying stomach and thigh, Rabbi Akiva? Shmami na lavoel. It must be that it's lavoel that's teaching you that this would also happen to the boyfriend. But maybe you could say, the Gemara says, that the whole pasuk, right, is coming just to include, right, the, just to include the boel. If that's the case, how can you say that if that's what it's coming to teach you, that it's also coming to teach you the order in which the water enters? Says the Gemara, If it was really just teaching you the Boel, it would say him specifically, his stomach and his thighs, my beten ve'erech, but here it doesn't say him or her, just says it generically. Once you say it generically, you could actually learn both things. The sequence in which you get afflicted, as well as, right, the fact that it could apply to the Boel as well. As the Gemara concludes, you learn both things from it. Okay, so now three lines... Uh, 14 lines up from the bottom, three minutes left. Amar Rabbi Shua, Kachay Adarish Zechariah. Tanar Rabbanu, Shalosh Pamim, Hamur Parsha, Im Nitmea, Nitmea, Benitmea, Lama. Right? So it says Bo three times, it also says Nitmea three times. What does the Nitmea mean? Echad Abalv, Echad Abalv, Echad Truma. Three different things. That the Sota is prohibited to her husband, prohibited to the adulterer, and she can no longer eat Truma. Diva Rabbi Kiva, that's what Rabbi Kiva lines. Amar Rabbi Shmael, Kalva Chomer. That you can actually, the fact that she is forbidden to marry, is, should be a kavachomer. How so? We know that if you have a bas kohen, as Rashi points out, obviously, a bas kohen that gets divorced, she can go back home and she could eat truma, right? But she can never marry a kohen again because she's a grusha. So kavachomer, zusha, asura betruma, eno dinsha asura lekahuna. So certainly a sota, once she's gone through that whole experience and, and is nitma and is no longer allowed to eat truma, Certainly, she should never be able to marry a coin again. Okay, so that logic uh, is compelling enough that we're wondering why Rabbi Kiva needs all three nitmeos to teach you that. Says the Gemara, no. What does it state? What is it trying to say? 
Im nitma lama shota. If it's known that she was nitma, why is she drinking the water at all? And im lo nitma lama mashka. And if she's lo nitma, why is in fact is she going to drink? In other words, it can't mean literally that we know what she did, right? Because the whole point of the sota is that is is that it's a suffix, right? So obviously we don't know, right? So magid lecha akasuv shas suffix asura. What it's teaching you is a chiddush Barry, that a suffix sota is asur, meaning. Even in the state of Sota, which is by definition a state of Suffolk, she is Usr Labala Labala. That already there, you have to separate. It says the Gemara, an unbelievable thing, Mikanata Dun Lasheritz. That this has application to Tuma at all, which will be the topic of tomorrow's daf. In other words, a sota, where we know that if she did it b'shogeg, or it was onus, she's not, she's not going to be punished. And yet, so long as she's in that state of suffolk as a sota, she's also l'ba'al boel. So all the more so sheretz, which we know halacha, that if you have a state of suffolk as to whether the sheretz touched you or whether you tummy, we're going to certainly not care whether you touch the sherets by accident or on purpose, it's the same with regards to Tumah, you touched it and it has the same impact. So certainly in the case of Suffolk, you should treat yourself like your Tameh. Yase Suffolk Hevadai, as we arrive at Chavchesam Beis, with a minute left, we see not much to Chavchesam Beis, which is where we're going to pick up tomorrow to discuss the idea of Tumah, just a little bit qualification of this rule, once you're extending Tumah from Sota, says the Gemara, Omimakam Shabbat, Ma Sota Yerushas Yachid, Av Sheretz Yerushas Yachid. What we're saying here is as follows, and this will pick up tomorrow. The Gemara wants to say, and we'll see this extension in its full glory tomorrow, which is to say that we are learning somehow Tuma of the Sheretz from the Tuma of the Sota. The word Tuma applies by both Barry. And therefore, how far do you extend it? We know that Tuma is Hutra Barabim, right, generally speaking. So is that true of a Tuma Sota? Tuma Sota is only by definition, because she nistera, right? She did it with Seser. So tomorrow, we get to have the pleasure of taking this concept of Tumah and seeing in what ways it is similar or different between the Tumah of a Sota and the Tumah of a Sheretz.